It's Fire Away Friday. Fire Away Friday. On Exploring the Word, this is your chance to ask us your Bible question. You can email your question at word at AFR.net or visit Facebook.com slash Exploring the Word. Exploring the Word. It's Fire Away Friday on American Family Radio. You know, we enjoy Fire Away Fridays when people call in, but we also get questions at at Word at AFR.net, on Facebook, uh, individually, privately. And so we love to do both. So we take time about sometimes to answer these questions. And this is one of those times that we're answering questions that people have asked us. Uh, they'll come on here at AFA or AFR frequently ask questions. And, and we want to do that today. We're excited about the opportunity to do that. And uh, we pray that you would listen. And these are usually questions that more people ask. And a lot of times we combine these questions because different people are asking the exact same question or very similar questions. So we hope that you'll enjoy this program today. Alex, uh, we love these questions. That really sets exploring the Word apart from a lot of the other Bible study programs on AFR is our direct communication with our listeners as they ask us questions. Exactly. We have the privilege to give uh, answers to questions. And, And let me be clear, this is what we strive to do is not give Alex's opinion or Bert's ideas. We try to give the Word of God. And know this, that uh, we would encourage you to read the Bible. And uh, we, we really do our utmost to give information that squares up solidly with the Word of God and is practical. You know, Bert, I was going over uh, recent emails and looking at some of the questions that we will probably bring to the table today. And some of these questions I had, in fact, we'll get to one maybe later on in the show about dinosaurs. And I remember when I got saved at Macedonia Baptist Church uh, as a college kid, I had that question. I went to the pastor and I said, Hey, wait a minute. Where are dinosaurs in the Bible? I remember eternal security. I went through a stage early in my Christian life that I was worried I could lose my salvation. And people ask about that, and we'll get to that. So we're going to devote this entire hour to doing our best to give some answers to some questions I really do think are probably on the minds of a lot of people. They are, and matter of fact, Alex, uh, a book's coming out with some, let me see, a hundred questions that we do our best to answer, so we're excited about that. We don't want to give all the information, but that's coming out pretty soon, isn't it? Well, it is, and you know, I give God the glory. This is something that I've prayed about for quite a few years because we've been asked to do it. A number of people have said, Bert and Alex, you two guys ought to write a book, and, and I prayed about it a lot, and the um, time just came around, and, and God's timing, I really believe, because I was talking last summer, it was probably late July, to Tim Wildman, and by the first part of August, Tim uh, said, I really want y'all to do that, and uh, it's going to come out in September. We, we're going to talk about it a lot. I know that um, the ministry is really going to support this book. It's published by a publisher up in Minnesota that I've written for on two previous books, uh, Broad Street Publishing. And I want everybody to please pray, and I'll tell you why. Uh, Broad Street Publishers is a wonderful Christian publisher, and a lot of um, if you're if you've ever been in a store, maybe you've been at a major you know retailer or a grocery store or even at the airport, and you see a revolving kiosk. 
you know, uh, and a lot of times inspirational books are on there. Well, Broad Street is really good at getting books in places like that, and I'm praying that our book of the the top 100 questions from the first 10 years of exploring the Word, I'm hoping this book will make it into stores on that revolving kiosk, and I think it will. But the reason I hope for that, Bert, is so that many, many people will begin to see the Bible, God's Word, as the answer book for their life. Amen. And so... Be looking for that in September, but until then, we're going to answer your questions here on Exploring the Word, AFR. Alex, uh, the first question, let me set it up. It's going to be a kind of a combination uh, question. I had one that says, uh, you know, how do you saved and how can you know it? And you had another one a little similar to that about salvation and death, didn't you? We did. Uh, somebody emailed and said, does anybody really know what happens after death? And, uh, you know, that is that is a question uh, that a lot of people grapple with. Fortunately, Bert, I'm going to say this. Yes, we can really, truly know what happens after death and we can know how to be ready. And that's possible because the good Lord who loves us, has revealed everything you need to know about the afterlife and how to be prepared. Amen. And let me just share with you, everybody needs to be saved. Uh, I've got this simple sermon. It's from the book of 1 John, and it says everybody needs to be saved. And then I Mm. add, everybody who needs to be saved can be saved, and everybody who can be saved is saved the same way way. And it's through trusting in Jesus Christ. And Alex, so the way we're saved is by grace through faith. The Bible makes that plain in Ephesians. It is for by grace you are saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, this is not telling you that works are not important in our life. It's talking about it is not the way to salvation. Jesus said himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, listen to this next phrase. No one can come to the Father except through me. That that sounds very narrow because the Bible says narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. So, mm. Alex, salvation is through Christ and Christ alone, isn't it? That's right. I like that sermon outline. That's You know, Bert, you're a good preacher. <laughs> I, I've heard a lot of your sermon outlines. That's a great outline. Let me give a, a verse here. Hebrews 9.27. This is the New Testament book of Hebrews. It says, It is appointed unto man once to die. And, and think about the word appointment. We think about maybe you have a, a doctor's appointment, and you know the day, you know the time. Well, there is a day, and the Lord knows it. But there's a day you're going to leave this world. And we don't, people don't like to think about it. Many people push it out of their mind before it's too late. So don't do that. The wisest thing you'll ever do, and frankly, it's very liberating and empowering, but admit your own mortality. Face up to the fact that you're going to die. We all will. Bert, i got to say something, then I want to talk about how to be saved. But Hebrews 9.27 says it is appointed unto man once to die. And the word really there that is translated appointed is really the word apportioned. Now that's an ancient political word. Governments would look at all their citizens and there were things apportioned equally. 
maybe food or land or a, repre- a representative in parliament or whatever. But when a government apportions something, it means everybody's got the equal share. And let me say, when it comes to this thing called mortality, we all have an equal share. Yeah. I mean, we're all going to leave this world and the Lord wants you to be ready. And that is the key. People want to talk about it. And I remember his story, and this helped me come to Christ when I was 12 years old. I was in school, of course, and the pastor used this illustration, said one time this class was expecting a special guest that day, but they did not know what time that guest might get there. And so the teacher said, I guess we need to clean up the room, make sure your desk is straight. And one little boy said, well, I'm going to wait right before he comes to clean up my desk. And the other little boy said, well, you don't know when he's come. He said, I'm going to clean up my desk and leave it clean so I will not be caught off guard when he does come. So Mm. we don't know when death is going to occur. We might think it's going to be later. But we can be ready even if we don't know when it might occur, Alex. Well, exactly. And let's talk about how to be ready. And the Bible does tell us in passages like Luke 16 about Abraham and the rich man died. I'm sorry, Lazarus and the rich man. He went, the Lazarus went to Abraham's bosom. But one second after you expire, or you close your eyes in death, you are in eternity. Now, if you're a born-again Christian, you're in the presence of the Lord. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But if you read Luke 16, it's very, very chilling. It really is. This rich man that was ungodly and unbeliever died and was in hell. Now, the Bible is our definitive source, and Jesus was sharing those things. So the way you get ready for the afterlife, and there's only heaven and hell, the only two options, and there is no second chance. You will never find in the Bible that people get a second chance after death. I know, Bert, some people think that, and we've actually had callers that believe that. But friend, God wants you to be ready, and your sins can be forgiven, your position your standing before God can be 1,000% secure if you will turn to Jesus. And one beautiful thing, and Bert, I want you to comment on this. See, when you put your faith in, in Jesus, who he is and what he did, he is the Son of God. He was qualified to die and be our Savior, and he rose again. And then he went to the cross. He was not only able but willing. Amen. So you trust You say, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. Jesus, I believe when you died on that cross, you did it for me. So, Lord, I'm asking you, forgive me. Please save me. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Think of it this way. You are, by putting your faith in Jesus, you're receiving him as your forgiver and leader. And he will wash your sins away if you ask him now. And he will do it right now, as Alex said, for you. Uh, he, he loves you. He cares for you. He demonstrated his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, he would die for you and me. 
And today, by asking him into your life to be Lord of your life, not, not, not just saying, okay, Lord, I want you in, so I'll get people off my back. No, that you invite him in to come in. He is Lord. So you ask him, say, Lord, I need you to take up residence in my life and be who you are. Uh, that's what yeah. he wants. He wants to be who he is in your life. He is Lord. Does that mean boss? Yeah, but it's the boss that you need because you don't know what direction to go. And he, you don't know what to do, but he will give you that. He gives you life. And it's an abundant life. The Bible talks about that. We call it eternal life. It's not just one for its quantity, it's quality. It's a new life in Christ. And Alex, it, you remember grace? We're saved by grace. Guess what? We're kept by that same grace. It is Praise keeping God. grace. Uh, it is one that he shares with us and he keeps with us. Paul wanted that. He wanted uh, to get rid of the thorn in the flesh. And God simply said, my grace is sufficient. So God's grace is sufficient to save you. It is sufficient to keep you and bring you through. So when it comes to the point that you are asking what happens after death, that grace is sufficient at death as well to take you into a world that Christ has prepared for you. Didn't he say in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you that a where place. I am, you may be there also. So it's a yeah. time and a place that we have waiting on us after death as believers, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, th- that's right. Heaven and hell, these are places. It's not some uh, foggy fairy tale or mist. No, eternity is real. And in Jesus, you can be ready. We thank you for listening. This is Fireway Friday, where we're taking questions from Word at AFR.net and other places. Join us for more when we come back with more of Exploring the Word on Fireway Friday. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. truth. That's John 17, 17. Jesus was talking about the Word of God being absolute truth. And you know what? That truth sanctifies. In John 17, he prayed. He said, Father, speaking of the Christians, Jesus said, sanctify them by thy truth. Alex McFarland here with Bert Harper. You're listening to the American Family Radio Network. We're answering questions. And, you know, speaking of the way the Word of God sanctifies us, it does change us, doesn't it? We grow, we learn. And I want to say this, piggybacking on the previous segment, Bert, when I accepted Christ, it was because I wanted to be saved. But I'm going to tell you something, 30 years of being a Christian, the greatest thing of salvation, of course, it's assurance about life after death. Uh, The believer goes to heaven, not hell. Of course, that's a wonderful assurance. But I'm going to tell you the sweetest thing about salvation, the thing that we cherish every waking moment, and that is to be in the presence of Jesus. I mean, one of my favorite verses, speaking of Jesus being the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And isn't that the greatest blessing of salvation is to live in the presence of the Lord? 
Amen, Alex. I I could not agree more. Um, I, I, I say it this way. When I got saved, I did not want to go to hell. I knew that Christ was the only way to escape this eternal torment, and I received him, but I got more than I ever could think or dream or imagine, and that scripture talks about that, you know, that it is more and exceedingly more. And he is a friend. Uh, he's an advocate for us. He's an advisor. And he, let me just tell you, this relationship with Jesus brings the Bible alive. Uh, now, the Bible is the Bible. I don't care if you believe it or not believe it concerning it being the Word of God. It is the Word of God. Now, I do want you to believe it, not, not that I don't want you to, but whether you do or not, it's still the Word of God. But when you have this relationship with Jesus, which brings the Holy Spirit present in your life, it brings out clarity, things that you'd never even known or seen before. So, mm. Alex... Uh, walking with Christ it is a great adventure. Uh, it is it easy? Not all the time, no. But it is someone, you know, usually we don't go around stuff. We don't go over it or under it. Have you noticed we go through it? Uh, yeah. And, yeah. and guess what? He's with us through it. And, and he sustains us through it, doesn't he? Does, he does. Well, we've got a question here, and this is definitely a question for the modern era. Uh, what does the Bible say about women pastors? And you and I have both been pastors before, and I'm, I'm just going to say this. You can elaborate on it, but the, in the Word of God, uh, clearly God's design for the operation of the local church is male senior pastor leadership. Uh, biblically, you will never find anything to sanction women senior pastors. It's always a, a man. That is so true, and you find that. You find Paul talking about it in Timothy. He talks about it, bishops and elders, and uh, those are, are, are masculine. And, and so, Alex, uh, I, I say this, and let me just suggest that if you're at a town and there was only one church, and it had a woman pastor, and that she was teaching the Word of God. I would choose to attend, so don't don't get me wrong, but we're looking a lot of time what's best. You know, a lot of times things are right or wrong, and I think it's right to have a male pastor. That's what I think. But if that female, what is best? And that's what you're shooting for. You're shooting for the best. You're not just shooting to get by. Well, we'll get by with it. No, we want the best. Uh, so I, the, I think the Bible's very plain on that about senior pastors. Well, and, and let me say this, folks. Um, it doesn't mean that men are better than women or smarter or that women are to be subjugated or held back or anything like that. But God is a God of order, and in—I'll uh, say this, too. This is worth uh, mentioning. Gender matters, and gender, every person's gender is chosen by God. Not only the fact that we are born and we have life, but who we are, uh, born a boy or born a girl, where we're born. There are just a whole lot of details about our life that God in his sovereignty chose not us. And there are definitely things about the church 
that God designed, not us. And Bert, we often, when we talk about the church, there's the church throughout all the centuries, there's the church worldwide, there's my local church where I attend, and your local church where I hope you attend. But here's the thing, it's God's church, not mine. You know? I so, mean, he, I, so you mean he can run it and give the requirements? Exactly. Without our input? <laughs> I am not free to uh, deconstruct and reinvent. It, it's, it's Christ's church, and I'll prove it, because he bought it. God not only envisioned the church, designed the church, birthed and built the church, he bought the church. I mean, so in as much as it is Christ's church, not ours, we really don't have the latitude to change what he says about how it must be structured. Amen. Alex, I have this question, and I, I think this is a very important question. What scripture, and is talking to us, addressed to Bert and Alex, would you guys recommend reading for a person who doesn't have long to live? In this case, it was someone that had terminal cancer for, uh, you know, stage four, not long to live. And they didn't say if they were saved or unsaved. So I put that qualifier on that, saved or unsaved. I, I think I would recommend different things. But what scripture uh, would you recommend? And I'll ask you, and then if you don't use the ones that I thought of, I'll add them later. But what scriptures would you recommend reading for a person who doesn't have long to live? Wow. Well, uh, again, uh, uh, of course, the most important criteria is that you are born again. Uh, you know, in, in that sense, John three sixteen. <laughs> if you uh, know that you're going to leave this world by by all that is holy, I say, please make sure that you know Jesus. But it can be fearful. I'm going to give you two scriptures. Know this, Psalm 116, 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And and literally, the, the wording there means his loved ones. So know this, if you're a believer, you are one of God's loved ones. And he says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So God's receiving you to be in heaven with him is a precious thing. And it is fearful because it's unknown. We don't know. We don't know. But God is going to be with you. Your transition out of this life and into the very presence of the Savior is a beautiful thing. I'm going to give you one more scripture, Hebrews 1.14 says that the angels are the ministering spirits to the heirs of salvation. And Bert, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, I think about a couple of years ago when I was with uh, one of our listeners who is a leads a hospital, and I was down in Texas, and uh, I had the privilege of speaking at a, at a palliative care hospital where people go, they go to die. And there were probably 60 or 70 people in the room, doctors and nurses. I said, how many have ever, it, you, you're an end-of-life hospital. How many have seen things in the uh, final moments of people's lives that make you believe in the afterlife? 100% of the hands went up. Yeah. It's like 65, 70 people. People begin to tell, these are doctors and nurses, uh, some of the, the most well-trained medical professionals in the state of Texas. And they were telling me stories of people on their deathbed saying, look, angels, do you not see them? There are angels in the room. And many, many people said, it's Jesus. In their final breath, they told stories. 
And some of these some of these medical professionals, they would say, you know, I'm not all that spiritual, but I was with a patient and they suddenly smiled and said, it's Jesus. Yeah. So uh, to to the person facing the end of life, if you're a Christian, it's going to go well because Christ is going to give you the grace to enter into his courts and with him you will be. Amen. Great answer. Let me say this. You know, a lot of times people ask us, what book of the Bible would you suggest someone reading after they've trusted Jesus Christ? I've said many times the Gospel of John. Now I want to say, what book would you recommend someone reading as they're, cha- as they're facing death? The Gospel of John. Uh, John chapter 3, chapter 4, they come across and tell us what it means to have this relationship with with Jesus Christ. You know, uh, Nicodemus came, the woman at the well came, and they both came into relationship with Christ. Nicodemus, the reason we know that is following up the rest of the book of John, we know that he became a follower of Christ. And then in that gospel, you find John chapter 14, where he goes to prepare a place for us, that where he is, we can be with him. So the gospel of John, Alex, uh, there's... I, I would start there and end there. Uh, yeah. It's just a powerful, powerful uh, treatise that the Apostle John received from the Holy Spirit for the church, isn't it? It, it really is. I mean, and the Gospel of John, we routinely ask people to read that. It's 21 chapters. Um, and also, of course, many of the Psalms, you know, uh, the Psalms are just so inspirational. But... Um, let me say another one, too, and then we'll move on. Uh, and it's short. It's only four chapters, but it's just saturated with Jesus. And that's the book of Colossians, the little New Testament book of Colossians. Now, it's it's deep, but it, it will prompt you to think about this great Savior who is in relationship with you, Jesus. So I, I love the book of Colossians for it will grow and mature the believer, won't it? It will. I, I love you saying that. And I, I just want to read this. Uh, listen to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. Some of my favorite. I've got it highlighted. I've got it lined under. i got an asterisk bite. Uh, it's that good. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. That's where you're going. Set your mind on these things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Alex, mm. I agree with you. Colossians, uh, you know, it's a little chapter. I mean, it's the the four there, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not in any order concerning which is the most important Colossians coming last. They're equally important. But Colossians has a lot to say about our relationship with Christ and the assurance we have in him. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, let's let's get another question in. And by the way, you're listening to Exploring the Word with Alex McFarland and Bert Harper. And on AFR.net, by the way, a great website, all of this content is archived. And uh, there's 
all the other great shows like Today's Issues and Sandy Rios and The Hamilton Corner and Airing the Addisons and Cross-Examined with Frank Turek and all, of course, all the Exploring the Word. And you might want to forward a link to somebody and you can share all these things. So so take a look at AFR.net. But somebody writes this and again, well, it's kind of a hot button issue, but somebody says, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? Is it really still a sin? And we said this uh, a minute ago in a question, but look, God is the creator and God is the, the foundation of morality. And because he loves us, listen, God knows what is best for us, and he has laid down ground rules, moral boundaries. Um, Sex outside of marriage is a sin, not because God is a bad guy, but God knows what is best. And, Bert, before we talk directly about the issue of homosexuality, I was just watching a, a documentary last night about poverty in America, and poverty Uh, brings in violence, drugs, theft, crime, crime and poverty, gang involvement. It's, It's all just a vicious mix. But do you know what the two things that open the door for poverty uh, and all that crime and bloodshed, the breakdown of the families and the, the absence of the church. And so God laid down very tough-as-nails boundaries about human sexuality because He loves us, He's a righteous God. But here's the thing. As children are brought into this world without a mother and a father, and as the family breaks down and children grow up and it's just, uh, you know, catch-as-catch-can— Kids don't know right from wrong. Kids grow up, and there's like there are many parts of our nation where kids have never known what you and I would call a normal life. Part of the reason that God laid down such strict rules about right and wrong, morality, is because He's trying to protect us from ourselves in many ways, isn't He? He is. Uh, you ever receive an owner's manual? You know what it usually says oh. right in the beginning of it? For best operating results. But, yes. And then it'll give you, if you do this, we're not responsible. They'll give you these warnings. If you do this, we're not responsible. The Bible is more than an owner's manual. It's God's love letter to us. But for best operating results, we follow him in sexuality concerning all things. And so God wants our best. And that's the reason he puts restrictions on us. They're boundaries, they're limits, but they're limits that help us not not to harm us. We're going to be back. We'll finish more of this conversation in just a moment as we continue answering questions on Fire Away Friday, Exploring the Word. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Let me go down, down, down in history As another blood-faithful member of the family And if they all forget my name, well, that's fine with me I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus 
Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Bertie and Alex with you. It's Fireway Friday, but we're not taking your calls. We've already received these questions at word at AFR.net and by other means. And if you have questions, we love to get those questions. We usually group them together and, and, and put them together in a way that we can do it on a Friday recording. And we usually have people asking the same question or close to it. And so we put those together. So we were asking, uh, the question was about what does the Bible have to say about homosexuality? Alex, uh, the Bible says it's wrong. That's the first thing we know. And it's wrong because of the harm that it does to us. Yeah, exactly. And it, and I would say also it demonstrates unnaturalness as well. I better throw that in. But go ahead. And we were talking about that. Share some more with us. Well, yeah, it is. Uh, it's against the design. I mean, really, it's it's against God's design, not only for uh, the human body, but for procreation and marriage. You know, God invented marriage, Genesis 2.24, uh, says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave, hold fast to his wife. I mean, Genesis 2.24, the first verse about marriage, what do you have as, as normative is heterosexuality, a man and a woman. There's no provision. And friend, look, we love people. And God loves people. And God wants the best for people. But Bert, we've got to say it. Nowhere, nowhere, nowhere in the Bible, and really in in all of church history except just for about the last 10 or 15 years, nowhere in the Bible nor church history will you find homosexuality as being okay, gay marriage as even being legitimate. I mean, I've got to say this. Gay marriage is not even a thing. I mean, every time somebody says homosexual marriage, that is such an oxymoron because by definition, marriage is between a man and a woman. Now, two homosexuals might become a couple, uh, but coupling is not the same thing as marriage. And God invented marriage. God defines and determines what constitutes marriage and uh, let me say one other reason that we, I believe we should be against homosexual activity and the mainstreaming of it. Bert, the Lord tells us that we are to love our neighbor. All right. Homosexuality always, always is a result of some type of abuse. Um, I did a master's in developmental psychology at Liberty. We studied this. Uh, We had a a professor from UCLA that um, was telling us about thousands of case studies. And homosexual desire is basically a means of dealing with pain. Now, as our culture, and God forbid even some churches are now sanctioning homosexuality, the Bible hasn't been changed. But let me just say this, Bert, if I'm going to love my neighbor, which is what Christ calls us to do, why would I encourage people in something that will harm them and something that is always initiated out of pain, molestation, wounds, violence? I mean, the very idea that it is something good for people and to be celebrated is not only unbiblical, it's unloving. 
It is. And you caught the word pain. Uh, th- let me just share with you. If, if you're looking for homosexuality, transgenderism, to do away with some of the pain, you're going to the wrong places. You've gone to the wrong area. Jesus Christ is the area you come to. You come to him, and he can help you. He's, he's that person uh, that will aid you and strengthen you and equip you. The Bible says that he's made us overcomers. Even the pain that was part of your life growing up at some point in time, whether it was a, a struggle uh, from the very beginning or an episode, it'll do it. But the scriptures, and again, the scriptures are plain. I want to give Old Testament and New Testament. Leviticus chapter 20, I know it is a powerful, powerful chapter concerning false gods. And what the false gods did, they they recommended false behavior. And one of those is in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. A man, a male does not lie with another man. It makes it plain. Romans chapter 1, it talks about how that this destructive lifestyle is a spiral downward, and it ends in a mind that cannot even know right from wrong, Mm. reprobate. So they believe a lie, they teach a lie, and they live a lie. And again, there's something better. Alex, you've done a good job, and I want to continue it. We're telling those of you who are listening that may be struggling in that area, that you've given into it, and now you're living it as a lifestyle, there's something better. And that better is a relationship with Jesus Christ, and he can help you come to him. Don't delay. And if you need Mm. someone to talk to today, there's a number you can call, 888-NEED-HIM. That's getting into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and it's a relationship that will help you overcome the wrong relationships that you have here that, that is physical. God can help you. I pray that you would let him today. Amen. Amen. Well said, Bert. Well, let's take a couple of other questions here. And um, let me um, piggyback on something we asked or, or a question we tackled earlier. Somebody writes, what do you believe about once saved, always saved? Is eternal security biblical? Can a Christian lose their salvation? And we get variants of this question, but Pastor Bert, let me ask you, is everlasting life really everlasting? <laughs> the Bible talks about eternal life. And, uh, you know, it's hard hard to say when that comes to an end. It does not. It's a relationship. The, the, the key word, once saved, always saved, the key word is once saved. And, and there's people that disagree with that. They believe that you can commit apostasy and, and just forgive up on everything that you did believe. We've heard people of doing that. Let me just suggest to you, uh, if you're saved, feed on the Word of God. Let Him come into your life. Don't let fear dominate your life. Let the Word of God dominate your life. And read Romans 8. Read uh, John chapter 10. 
Those chapters will help you. They will strengthen you. Yes, there's someone in Hebrews that is a little difficult to understand, but I, and I understand that. If that was standing alone, I would too. But the overwhelming evidence is that once you come to Jesus Christ, he won't let you out of his hand. He hmm. has you in his hand, and you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Alex, uh, what people need to do is make sure they've come into relationship with Jesus Christ by faith. They've asked Christ to be Lord of their life. They've turned away from going their way, and they say, God, we're going your way. You remember in the Bible, it's talked about the way. You know what the, the way is? God's way. <laughs> Amen. And, and we come to him, and we walk with him. Can two walk together unless they be agreed? Come to God and agree with him concerning your soul, concerning your life, even concerning your future. Oh, amen. Amen. And, you know, this is a cliche, but um, in my book on the 21 toughest questions your kids will ask about Christianity, I, I, I repeat this quote, and, and I think we need to help young people understand this, really people of all ages, but feed your faith and your doubts will starve to death, you know? Yeah. And, and a lot of people, um, they feel like they have lost their salvation, I think what they really might have lapsed in is the joy of the Lord for for whatever reason. It might be overt disobedience or sin or backsliddenness, or it just might be kind of um, you've neglected your spiritual growth, your the spiritual disciplines. And, uh, you know, Bert, you and I, we ought to talk a little more than we do probably about spiritual disciplines like prayer and reading your Bible being in church, using your gifts, and serving. Because I, I think our assurance in Jesus and our stability on our Christian growth is is helped when we daily, we understand every day it is my joy to walk through life as a disciple. Well said. And those disciplines, uh, they are disciplines. In other words, mm -hmm. you discipline yourself to do them. Are they always easy? No. Many times serving the Lord may be difficult. Uh, he may want you at a place where the church comes to you and asks you, how about teaching those seventh grade boys? You know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. you say, oh, me, that's kind of scary. Well, listen, I think some of you men out there, uh, more than anything else, being with them and showing them who Jesus is in your life. Uh, you know, a lot of these things are caught more than they're taught, but you want oh, to yeah. do them together. You know, you want your teaching and your living to match up. They call it your walk and your talk. And so, yes, make sure you're saved. Uh, yes. Just listen, trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will direct your paths. There's never a time when you don't need to do that beginning to end. Ask him. Alex, are you ready for this question? I think this is. Yes. Did Jesus appear in human form in the Old Testament? Oh, I, I believe so. And, you know, I've mentioned this book many times, but James Borland, B-O-R-L-A-N-D, wrote a book called Christ in the Old Testament. And Dr. Borland, you, you can find it out there. He was a professor at Liberty. I think he's retired. Um, but there there is... I really don't think any better book on that, Christ in the Old Testament. And whenever you see things like the the angel of the Lord or the captain of the Lord's host, 
those are examples of references to Jesus uh, in in the Old Testament. Um, and I, I think that, um, you know, when, you know, God appeared to Abraham and when, uh, you know, Jacob wrestled with God, I mean, these are called Christophanies. Uh, Christophany is an Old Testament a- appearance of Christ. And uh, probably to Hagar, you know, but um, Abraham on Mount Moriah in Genesis 22. So, yes, I think that uh, all of these are a pre-Bethlehem, pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus. I agree with you fully. Now, here it is. Here's the difference about the incarnation. He took on human form, but it was not humanity yet. He took on humanity at the incarnation in Bethlehem, and he was made flesh and dwelt among us. John chapter 1, you know, talks about in the beginning, John 14, and we beheld his glory, glory of the begotten, begotten only of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Alex appearing in human form in the Old Testament and him becoming flesh at the incarnation, uh, it it now here's what I see, and you may disagree. At, he he would appear in human form in the Old Testament only to be God, you know who he was. But when he became flesh and dwelt among us, Philippians chapter two talks about it. You know, uh, and and he took that form. Alex, every time we see Jesus after the incarnation, after the resurrection. He's appearing in a body, you know? Mm-hmm. Even, now, that body was different. He could go through doors. He could be with the two on the road to Emmaus one minute, and he could be back with Peter in Jerusalem the next. But he was only appearing in one place at one time. And even when he comes back, it says he's going to come on a horse, seated, sitting on a horse. And he said, I must go away. If I don't go away, the Spirit will not come. And when the Spirit will come, He will dwell all of you. He'll indwell all of you. And so the pre-incarnate Christ was Him taking the form of the incarnation was Him becoming flesh. Am mm. I? Uh, I think you're did right. Did I articulate well that well enough? Well said. Hey, you know, in the Old Testament, you know who saw Jesus? And we don't often say this, but I believe it was. And you'll instant instantly know what I'm saying, Bert. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <laughs> Who's that fourth man? Did we not throw three in there? Now there's a fourth one. <laughs> Daniel chapter three, the fiery furnace. Amen. And they looked. You know, it's almost like uh, you know those those three I'm executing. Are they burned up in my furnace? They said, "Hey, they're still there." And there's a fourth man in the fire. <laughs> he looks like the Son of God. Uh, do you know uh, the early church fathers like Tertullian? believed that fourth man in the fire was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. I believe it, too. I do, too. I believe that. And some people say, well, the three came out. The fourth one stayed in the fire waiting on the rest of us to be thrown in. Now, that's a little bit picturesque, but he is waiting for you. Jesus loves you. He cares for you. He wants to save you. He wants to use you. Uh, he he is a blessing beyond measure. If you don't know him today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord, 
We asked the question, once saved, always saved, have you been born again? Jesus told a righteous man, Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born anew from above. You must be born again. And, and listen, you can't be good enough. It has to do with a relationship with Jesus Christ, and it's only through him that you can have it. That number you can call to find out and make sure is 888-NEED-HIM. 888-NEED-HIM. Be saved. Be saved today. Alex, it's been good to be with you, brother. We often say this, folks. We say Jesus is as close by as a prayer. So talk to the Lord today. He's listening. Hey, thanks for being with us on Exploring the Word today. Tell somebody about the American Family Radio Network and Exploring the Word and AFR.net. Tell somebody, but most of all, tell everybody about Jesus. 